welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. We are starting a brand new series this morning. We are kicking it off calling It Takes a Village. It takes a village. Now, there's some things that you have to understand about a village. In a village, you have all types of people, right? You always have the village idiot. Uh, and then apparently, you also have construction workers, police officers. You have, uh, I'm just kidding, it's village people. All right, fair enough. All right, so you're tracking. And then you sing songs with letters like YMCA. And, all right. No, but there's all types of people in a village, right? When you go, and, and I've had the opportunity to go and visit different villages in different parts of the world, and, and there are always some things that are just consistent. You're gonna have the person who is kind of the, the medical mind, the doctor of the village, or, or, or just at least the medic in the village. You're gonna have those people that are capable of helping with healing, and then you're gonna have kind of the spiritual leader of the village and, and the person that they go to for guidance and direction. You're gonna have the mothers and the fathers. You're gonna have all types of people within a village. Now, one of the things that, that I've learned in raising children and in raising children in a tight-knit family is that every person in the family feels the, the right to help raise your child, right? And they feel the need to help correct in, in, in areas of different things. But here's what I found is that I was brought up that way around aunts who, who would felt very comfortable with allowing me to be disciplined by them uh, and, and correct me in those ways. But, but I feel like it took the village to help raise this guy at least because, man, it, it wasn't always pretty on my behalf because I wasn't always uh, the best child. We'll share some of those stories over time. Uh, today may not be the day, but it takes a village. It takes a village. How many of you know that we live in a world that is extremely fast paced? Now, I've even noticed a difference moving from Midlothian to the Dallas area. It speeds up even more here. Mind you, the traffic doesn't, it slows way down, but the pace of life speeds up tremendously, right? And so we find that, that, that life is go, 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 and we're busier than we've ever been. We have more on our plates. We have more to do. There's more things going on. Our boys, luckily, this semester, um, soccer practice is at the same time on the same night. That hasn't happened in a while. I remember last semester, our boys were playing soccer, and we literally did soccer five days a week. So we'd have practice for one on Monday, practice for one on Tuesday, practice for one on Thursdays, practice for one on Fridays, and games all day Saturday. And we're going, man, when is there time for life? And luckily, uh, our school went into like this whole no homework program for that year. And I was like, thank the Lord, because our kids would have failed everything because there would have been no time. But, but we're busier than we've ever been. And yet we, we feel this need for connection and this need for community with one another. We were created for it, and we can't find the time to make it happen. So I, I, want, I was thinking through this and I was going, man, how did we get here? How did this happen in, in a world and, and with people who are designed and created for community? So I started thinking through the ideas uh, of technology and how we got here because technology is constantly advancing. And the idea originally behind technology was to speed things up so that we could have more leisure time. In fact, there was a study done or a statement made years and years ago saying that by the year 2000, that people would have so much free time because of the advancements of technology that the average work week would probably only be about five hours. Is anybody experiencing that yet? No. See, what we've done is, so here's, here's how it started. So 
we'll, we'll use communication for kind of our illustration as we work through this. It started with, 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 the, with the telegram, using a series of dits and da's to be able to create these sounds that, that could be then translated on the other side to, to give us communication and give us a, some sort of statement that is being made. And so as they would do this, it sped up communication and the, we could then communicate in further distances a lot quicker because we could relay it from one station to the next, to the next, to the next, until finally it ended up in the location that it needed to go, but it no longer required people to have to carry the message all the way across. It was this revolutionary breakthrough in this idea of of communication. Now we've got greater communication and we've sped up the ability to communicate. Fast forward, Alexander Graham Bell then comes up with the telephone and it's this incredible deal. Now we can speak using our voices and we can communicate so the expression and the tone can be heard in our voices and that this, this incredible ability to hear the words of the other person on the other side and express and, and the feeling and the emotion in their words. All of a sudden, this is a great, incredible breakthrough. Now we can communicate and actually speak to people without leaving our homes. It's remarkable. Fast forward a little more. In the 1970s, they, they developed a cell phone. Now, mind you, most people didn't have them yet, but the communication ability was there. And then you go to 1983, you could have a car phone installed in your car for just under $4,000. That's an actual number. Like it was $3,990. You could have a car phone and it still had the cool like spirally like cable connected to the deal. You looked awesome driving down the road in your car with a $4,000 phone. But this was the 80s when greed was good, right? And so it was this whole deal. So you had this deal. The best part is you could make a phone call if you had signal for only about $8 a minute. Um, so you just kept conversations short. But now you could communicate anywhere at any time. And communication, again, sped up and was made a lot more easily obtainable with other people. And then you have the internet and email. And you have the ability from there, now you can sit down, type out a statement, type out a sentence, type out a paragraph or something, and send it over. I remember in elementary school when my teachers first received email in the classrooms, they were terrible at it. It was the funniest thing. They would come in, they would send an email, and then go to the classroom of the teacher to whom they just sent the email because it was all internal network-based. They didn't have the ability to send them outside of the school yet, right? That, was, that would have been mind-blowing, right? You couldn't do that. And so they would run to the classroom and be like, hey, I just sent you an email. And then they would wait for the other teacher to go and sit at her desk and open it up and read it. And I'm going, you realize you, you're here now. You're missing the point, you know, but as a kid, I'm still thinking, whoa, she wrote her something and it appeared on her computer. Like it was incredible. And the whole screen was just black and like green, like it was like DOS, like it was awesome. And yet they had email. So then you keep moving forward and then cell phones progress. You have smartphones and then the ability now to text an instant messenger. Anybody in the room grow up on instant messenger, Right. I'm just young enough to, to, to make that, I think. I like to think that I'm young enough to make that. I remember it being on AOL. Yeah, my name was Golf Dubos 2002 because I was on the golf team and I was going to graduate high school in 2002. So it was really remarkable. 2002, yes, I'm young. So just uh, roll with it. But that was like a big deal. But then I started thinking about it and I was like, man, text messaging and instant messaging, that's almost like a step backwards towards the telegraph. 
Again, and, and the ability of sending the dits and the daws, now we're just sending simple little statements back across and we've kind of progressed backwards. Then you keep moving forward and you get into the world of blogging, which leads into the world of social networking, which then leads us to where we are today, where people who think they are more, more connected than they've ever been connected in community because they know all things about all people all the time are actually more isolated than they've ever been because we feel that we are creating community simply because we have connection with somebody through a digital platform. And if there's anything that I've learned is that isolation is the scariest way to try to grow and to try to move forward. When you watch the Discovery Channel, you, uh, from time to time, you still get the old shows where they would like walk through the, the, the Sahara or, or, you know, and they're showing the animals and they're walking through all of this stuff. And, and, and they're like in, in the Mukimi National Park out in Tanzania or something. And they're, and they're showing the lions. And, and what happens is these lions, they would hunt with the pride, right? The females go out and they would hunt and they would stalk their prey and stalk their prey. And what happens is they would try to single out what they felt was the weakest. And they try to separate it from the rest of the pack, because if there's separation, now you're more vulnerable, you're more susceptible to being attacked, to being killed, to being devoured. And so what happens is, is they would try to separate and they pull it apart. So now there's not the strength of the masses that they're trying to come against. And, and as there's isolation, as there's separation, they can easily surround, take down the prey and eat it. What I love watching is when, when the pack of the wildebeest or the gazelles or the zebras or whatever it is that they're after in the moment, all of a sudden begins to surround and bring in the weaker or the younger, the injured one that they're trying to attack. And all of a the sudden they turn and like with the wildebeest, they would turn and their horns are down as if to say, I dare you. It's remarkable when you see the strength in the numbers, when you see the community surrounding that one and protecting the weak one and bringing them in saying, we are not gonna let you be devoured. We're not gonna let you be isolated and pulled apart because there is strength in numbers. There is something powerful about being connected into a community. There's something powerful about being connected into a body. Here's what I've learned is that it takes a village. If we're gonna grow in our walk with the Lord, if we're gonna grow as a church, if we're gonna grow as a body of believers, it takes one another. We cannot do this on our own. God created us for real relationships with real people. In fact, God himself recognized the need for people to have each other. And he says, to, he, he sees Adam and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. So he creates Eve so that there would be, then be fellowship. There would then be relationship with a person and then they could be fruitful and multiply and so on and so forth. But we find that, that even God himself recognizes that there is a need for companionship amongst people. And it's even greater in the world and in, in, in the need of, of, of companionship within the body of Christ. We need one another. We need one another. Today, I want to look at the early church and see how they did relationships. I want to look at the early church and see how they connected with each other. And, and if you will open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at the early church. Now, where we're going to pick up here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and 40 through 47 is we're going to find it just after there's been this great outpouring of salvation, right? There, it says that 3,000 people had just come to know the Lord in a day. How many of you think that that would be an absolutely 
incredible, uh, incredible moment, right? It'd be awesome. 3,000 people give the heart to the Lord, and the church is now multiplying. It's growing rapidly. But they realize and they understand there is a need now to help disciple these people. There is a need now to bring them into the fold. And so what we find is a very inclusive uh, um, a community, a very inclusive body that they are not shunning the new believers. They're not pushing them out and saying, fend for yourselves and make it on your own, but they are bringing them in. So let's jump into Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's pray real fast. Father. We ask, oh God, that today that you anoint my lips, anoint my words to speak what you would have me to say. God, that hearts will be open to receive from your word today. We give you glory. We give you honor for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Real community happens when we are devoted to real relationships with each other. Real community happens when we are devoted to real relationships with each other. One of the things that I have found is that that people aren't as committed anymore. And that, that's all of us. That's all of us included, right? We, we are up and down with our words, with our commitments back and forth and this and that. And, and so even, you know, one of the things that, that you find is that there's, there's reasons for this. We don't need to go into the statistics and explain and, and try to, to uh, you know, help you to believe and understand what I'm saying. We've all experienced, we've all seen it, that, that people's level of commitment to other people is not what it once was. And this is, this is contrary then to the idea of the body of Christ. This is opposite, um, of, of the idea of how God created us. In fact, we, again, being created for, com- for community and for fellowship and for people to be around us. And no one has ever said, man, I hope on my deathbed that I'm alone and nobody wants to be near me, right? That's not, that's not our heart and our desires. That's not our, our dreams for the way our life ends. We don't go, man, I really hope everybody hates me at the end of my life and that I find myself separated and isolated, that even the nurses don't want to come in and deal with me. No, we long for those relationships, right? We have that desire to say, man, at the end of my life, I want to be surrounded by people who love me, who care for me, who want to be near me, right? And I think that's the mark of a great life and somebody who's lived a great and loving life. And we want that and we desire that. So as we look at the early church, and I want to pull a few things out today, some of the key things that I'm, that I'm pulling from this that I'm seeing as it pertains to where we are as, as a church at Grace Hill and where we are in relation to the importance of our connection groups. Because this is where this is really going to take place. We can come together as a, as a big community on Sunday mornings, but really it's when we break into our connection groups and our smaller groups where, where this really plays out. And it's the same thing that we find in the early church. It's the same process that they did. The word for fellowship that we find here is found elsewhere in the book of Acts and, and in other places in the New Testament, but it's the word koinonia. It's the Greek word for fellowship. But, but it's more than just the idea of fellowship and just, you know, hanging out and being together, but, but it, it, it would mean fellowship in close relationship. So this koinonia is, is fellowship with people that you actually care about and love about and, and you're, you're close with and you're spending time with. So, so he's saying, you know, they were devoted to this koinonia. 
the first thing in, in your notes today is this community takes effort. Community takes effort. And our world is fast-paced. It's moving. It's constantly going. We can quickly find ourselves isolated and separated from real relationships. It's easy to get connected into to people's lives through, through Instagram or through Facebook or through Twitter or whatever source or platform that you choose to follow people on. But, but, but having real relationships with people requires effort. Community takes effort. Uh, in verse 42, it starts by saying they, were, they devoted themselves, right? They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles and to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The interesting aspect of this verse is the word used for devoted. The word devoted means that they were persisting in, persevering in, continuing in, constantly striving for you know, being committed to and connected to. It's a deeper word than just, a, a sim- it's more than just a, a simple word of devotion, like I am devoted to that. No, it was like their heart was attached to and connected to the idea of the teaching of the apostles and to fellowship, the breaking of bread into prayer. It requires effort. They worked hard for it. They worked hard to make it happen. But beyond just being devoted to fellowship with each other, they were devoted to prayer. Here's one of the cool things that you find uh, in, in the early church is that when they would meet together, you would, you would see, when it references prayer, this is most likely a reference to what was happening within the homes. This would be the connection and the fellowship taking place with one another. So the idea of being devoted to prayer would be in this sincere, open, honest moments of saying, here are the needs that I'm dealing with. Here's what my life looks like right now. Here's the struggles that I face. And they would truly care for and pray for one another. Here's, here's my statement about connections. If you're not in a connection group here at Grace Hill, I feel sorry for you because when you're in a connection group, you have more than just the fellowship aspect, but you have people that want to pray for you. You have people that want to care for you. I know in my own life that, that, that there are ups and downs and there are ebbs and flows, and that's in everybody's life, right? We have those. But I know for a fact that I, that I can feel when people are praying for me because I'm lifted up, I'm encouraged, and I go, you know what? I can press on. I can make this happen. And, and there's a lot of stress in every life, right? We all have seasons that are incredibly busy and incredibly strenuous on our minds and on our bodies. And and when we have that fellowship of believers around us who are praying for us, there is a strengthening that comes from that because the Spirit moves in on our behalf. And so we need to make sure that when we're connected, that, that we are devoted then not just into receiving the prayer, but also devoted to praying for one another. It can never be a one way street. See, how many of you have ever seen a leech? I've never seen one in person. I've only seen them like in movies, which means they're probably not real leeches that I'm seeing because they're not probably throwing leeches all over somebody's body when they like come up out of a river. Like, ah! you know, it's on their face. It always looks very gross and not fun. But what I found about, you know, the thing about a leech is that they only want one thing and they just want to essentially like suck the life out of you, right? You know, they're trying to suck the blood right out of your body so that like your face sinks and decays. I'm just, I don't know. I'm trying to make it more than I know. I'm just making up stuff at this point. But a leech does not do anything, you know, for the person that it is attached to. All the leech wants is the goodness out of that person so that they can be fed the way that they want to be fed and they give nothing in return. 
And so we have to make sure that in our connection groups that we're not a leech. We're not somebody who's just simply wanting to receive what we can receive without ever giving in return. You see, that's why it can't be a one-way street. They were devoted to prayer, not to receiving prayers from one another, but they were devoted to receiving and giving prayer. They were devoted to that fellowship with one another. It was back and forth. It was deep connection. How many of you know that you have probably dealt with people in your life that are kind of like a leech? Don't point fingers right now. Be like looking around. I'm watching everybody like, ooh. I'm, see, I'm still learning people. So if I find anybody looking closely at somebody, be like, okay, they're a leech. All right. That's good. So we're good. We're good. So far, right? No, we have those people in our life. I, so this past week, Lauren and I moved out of our house. And, and it was a lot of stuff to move out. We didn't realize how much stuff we had. And we had purged. I say we. Lauren had purged uh, and packed for a long time, getting rid of stuff. We sold stuff like crazy, thinking, okay, you know, we're getting rid of a lot of stuff. I don't want to move all of this stuff. We're going to sell this and we found that we still had so much stuff to move. It was crazy. But I was calling some friends, trying to get some people to help me on that side of town. I'm like, hey, we're moving out on Thursday. Can you be here to help us move out? And I had a friend tell me, he's like, man, I would love to help you. I really wish I could. I really wish I could help you move out. But I've got this meeting, and I've already gotten out of it twice. And they rescheduled it, and I just feel like I can't get out of it again. I really need to be there. I need to be at this meeting. And I go... Sure, I'm sure you do. Now, on the inside, I'm thinking, all of the stuff that I have done for you over the years, all the questions I answered, all the mentoring I did, pouring into your life, and you have a meeting that you have told me countless times, I hate going to this thing. And you're going to choose to go to that meeting instead of helping me in this moment. And I was thinking, you got to be kidding me. This is ridiculous. Now, he's a good friend, right? So to speak. And I find him just kind of bailing on me in that moment, right? And we know those people. We have those people that are in our lives. They're like those leeches, right? That they want to just suck and take out from us whatever they can get from us. Now, I've, I've picked on them a little bit, so I have to be fair and then say now that there are other types of people in this world, the ones that are committed to fellowship and to friendship and to helping and to being there. And so to be fair to him, I have to tell the rest of the story because if I left it there, he will come back and listen to this probably tomorrow and he will call me about this. This will be great. So when I say fellowship takes work, it takes devotion. So he, he then goes through and he thinks of how can I still be there to help Ryan? How can I still be there to help them? And so he tells the person in the meeting that he had to go to, and I understand why he had to be there. I do understand it. And he says, listen, I'm bailing early. So he had to drive an hour up to this meeting, sat for just a moment, left early and came down and continued to help us move, right? He ended up going from being that person that I was like, seriously, dude, come on, man. I would help you move, you know, if it was the moment or, you know, presented itself, I would jump to being the person saying, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure I'm there to help you in this process. See, that's that level of devotion. He's actually a really great friend. That's why I felt okay sharing this story. But that's that level of devotion that you find that they, they showed in the early church. They were devoted to one another. They were completely connected. They were completely given to one another. They cared deeply for each other. They weren't leeches trying to just give and never, or trying to just take and never give, but they, they realized that it took work both ways, that if it was, it was a 
a wonderful relationship because it flowed well, because it worked well, because they were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to each other. They understood that community takes effort. The second thing from, that, that, that we're going to pull from this is community comes from unity, and that's about as close as you'll ever get me to like trying to break into a hip-hop song of any kind. Um, community comes from unity. Let's look at verse 44. And it says this in verse 44, it says, all believers were together and had everything in common. Now, one of the cool things about this verse is that that word together is absolutely notorious in in the biblical scholar world for translation of being a difficult word to translate fully, to grasp the complete understanding. It says that they were together. Now, so the cool thing about this this word is that that as people try to break it down and fully understand it, the the closest understanding that they can come up with is that it it seems to depict that they the gathered community with a strong emphasis on strong unity. So that word together is talking about just complete unity, completely unified in ideas and understanding. And then it goes on to say, and they had everything in common, not that they looked alike or had you know, similar characteristics and attributes, but, but all of their belongings, they thought, you know what, while I may own this, if somebody has a need, I am willing to share with them. I'm willing to share with him. Now, let me, let me do this real fast just so that we can clear the air. I know that this verse is used a lot of times in, in some pol- political arenas to defend and have a biblical basis for modern communism. The reality is this couldn't be further from the truth. Because if you look at the way the early church operated and this idea of everything in common, it was a voluntary and it was only on a needed basis. Everybody still owned their own possessions. It wasn't as if Peter was coming around going, everybody put your stuff in the pot. We're going to divide it evenly amongst all people, right? It wasn't, that wasn't the concept. Peter is not strong arming people into selling off possessions to take care of the needs of the others and whatnot. This is purely voluntary. This comes from that unified believing body together where they said, you know what? I see the need that they have have. And I know that I can help them. If I, if I sell this, I will have some money and it can go towards that. And the other thing about this is it would have been a collective giving. It would have been saying, okay, the 15 of us see that they have a small need. We can all chip in something to help that one small need. And maybe from time to time, there was a large need met by one person. But the reality is this is a voluntary giving of the needs. This is a voluntary sharing of what they have so that the need can be met. This, this is complete unity within the body. This is complete unity amongst the believers. This is them coming together, again, working and showing that it takes effort, knowing the effort that is required, and then coming together and saying, we're going to work and move together as a unified body of believers. We're going to care from each other. This reminds me of a, of a great story of, of, that I, I was actually close to. We had a group, um, it was a small group that met, and it was uh, a group of of older, semi-retired or retired uh, people in this group, and they were phenomenal, and they cared for one another deeply. But a lady in the group brought a need up of her daughter. She said, hey, if we could be praying for my daughter. And it wasn't in the sense of, hey, can y'all take up an offering for my daughter? But it was simply a, we haven't, my daughter has this need. Could you, could you please be praying? And so they prayed together. After the group was over, the leader of that group started calling all of the people in our group and said, hey, what can you do? How much can you give to help meet this need and help meet this need? And before you know it, they raised $500 to then in turn give to this person's daughter. Because what happens is when you become unified as a body, when you become connected in that deep in relationship with somebody, you feel the weight of their problems. 
you feel the stress and the hurt with them because there's that deep caring. There is true unity. They were together. They were together, almost as if it was family in that deep connection, in that deep bond. It's important that we are surrounded by a community that is unified, surrounded by a community that is, that, is, that is seeing the effort required, seeing the work required to make it happen, and then unified in, in belief and unified in, in, in love and in care for each other. So let's talk about this a little bit from a practical point of view. How do we create unity? How do we create fellowship amongst one another? Let's look at, at verse 46 and 47. It says this, Every day... They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Community happens in real relationship. Community happens in real relationship. Now, uh, we notice, first of all, that they didn't stop going to the temple, right? So, the home group does not replace being together with the whole body, right? The home, the, being in the home doesn't replace coming to the place of worship. Being in the home doesn't replace coming together and worshiping as a body of believers. It doesn't replace coming together uh, as, as people who are, are spending time with the Lord together, right? We come together collectively as a whole. But what we find here is that, that when they would go to the temple, the temple was always a place that was full of a lot of people. It was a very busy place because in, in, in this time, in, in the Jewish culture, the temple would have been the central hub of the community and of the city. So everybody is flocking to this area. So what we're finding is that they're going there, yes, to hear the scriptures being read, but they're also going there to witness and to share Jesus with those around them. But then it says that they go into their homes and they break bread together. Uh, what I love is, is this statement. It says they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts with glad and sincere hearts. You know what that says to me? It says that they went and they met together with an openness and with a comfort level that said, I can be vulnerable with you. I can share my hurts. I can share my triumphs with you. We, we, can, we can pray for the needs and we can celebrate the victories together. This is talking about really doing life together. And the need that we have for each other. This is, this is that need for companionship, that need for community that we find that, that we were created for. See, in the intimacy of a home setting, you know, a common meal was shared together. They would eat. And in those moments, they would be willing to share their life story. I know this, that, that I have grown closer to people when we've had them do our home to just sit down and have a meal together. And I think we can all experience that and we've all gone through that and we've all seen that, that, that when we stop and we slow down and we don't go, you know, and, and we just bring them into our home and there's that relax and that comfort and we say, you know what? Let's just sit and eat. Let's just share time together. Something incredible happens in that. There is that relaxed feeling and, and an openness and, and a vulnerability that takes place. I, I remember having uh, um, some friends of ours that are worship pastors at another church, and, and we're in similar communities, very close to each other at the time, and we'd have, we had them over, and I'd always revered this guy as like, man, he is it in the worship world. He has been like number one on iTunes in the worship stuff, and I'm going, you're, you're incredible. I, 
and he comes to my house and I'm going, oh man, he's at our house. Like, this is a big deal. And we're having dinner together and Lauren and his wife are just sitting at the table and they're just talking about the things of the Lord. And I'm sitting down and I'm talking with this guy and he's like sharing the struggles that he faces at his church and, and all these things. And I'm going, oh my word, you're a real human being. <sighs> it's incredible. But it all happened and there was an openness and a vulnerability in the moment because we sat and we slowed down, we ate together, and we shared time together. Now, naturally, one of the things that would take place in the early church and in these meetings in their homes is that they would sit together, and they would do, there would be the Lord's Supper, you know, and they would share that, and they would recognize the Lord's Supper as the unifying connection to all of it, as the unifying, you know, commonality. See, in the world that we live in today, we have replaced people with addiction, right? And, and one of the things that we have, you know, is, is we don't slow down enough to have those moments of unification and those moments of, of, of working together. So we, here's what I found is that um, most of us are addicted to our cell phones. And you may not agree with that, but I'm going to throw some stats out there at you. Uh, here's the reality. The average smartphone user, you ready for this one? This is incredible. Checks their phone 47 times a day. That comes to 17,155 times per year. It's pretty remarkable. I was about to reach in my pocket and check my phone just for comedy, but I'm just going to move on. 85% of smartphone users will check their device while speaking with friends and family. It's kind of hard to create that unity and that openness, the communication and all that kind of stuff when we're stuck to a device. 80% of smartphone users check their phone within one hour of waking up or going to sleep. 35% will do so within five minutes. I'm in that 35%. Because it's like, okay, go to bed. Wake up. Like, what happened between, you know, there's nothing going on, you know, in the middle of the night. Who's, you know, my issue is like, I'll wake up and I'll be like, what happened on ESPN at three in the morning? Oh, nothing, because they were sleeping too, right? You know? It's an issue. So I'm going to tell a little story on myself. We, just a few weeks ago, Lauren and I were, we were talking and, and having this conversation. And Lauren started to open up to me about uh, um, like a real frustration she was having in the moment. Like, hey, you know, just talking with me. Not like she was frustrated with me until, um, until I had the incredible, brilliant thought of, oh, I need to check this useless text message and respond to it while she is pouring out her heart to me. All of the sudden, um, I felt a shift in the frustration of, okay, this isn't even an issue anymore. You're ignoring me. And I was like, oh, poor timing. Not good. And it was that realization of going, man, because of this device, because of what I have, I have completely shut my wife out and said, what you're telling me right now is not important, but me explaining a joke that I said to a guy through a text message, because a lot gets lost in text, is more important in this moment. So one of the things that we try to do in our home, and this is, this is something that we, you know, when we have dinner together, and we try to have dinner as often as possible together, but there is nothing digital allowed at the dinner table. So cell phones get put away, tablets are put away, TV's turned off, um, unless Alabama's playing football because my wife's addicted um, I'm not a Bama fan, but her team wins, so I just kind of support her. 
But, you know, we try to set that off so that in those moments of sitting together, in those moments of being together, that we can actually have real conversation with our children and real conversation with each other. What would connection groups look like if, like, at the door we had a basket and we said, all right, smartphones go in here? How much deeper would our connection be with each other if we actually said, you know what, we're going to have real relationship with one another we're going to have real relationship together. We're going to have real relationship speaking with real people. We might find out things about each other that we never knew. There might be an openness in our, in our groups that we've never known. There might be a deeper level of growth that we've ever seen in our lives. We may actually grow in our walks with the Lord at a faster rate because we have disconnected from our smartphones and, and the internet and all the things of this world. Not, I'm not, listen, hear me. I'm not saying that smartphones are of the devil. I'm not saying that the internet is, is the enemy. There's good in all of these things, but what I'm saying is, what would we do if we really put time and effort into community? What would things look like if we really put time and effort to connecting with one another? I think something profound would happen in our world if all of a sudden there is a shift and a change in our level of, of desire to be with each other? What if we replaced our addiction to our cell phones and technology with an addiction to community and relationships with real people? I think there would be an incredible explosion of growth personally in our lives and with each other. And I also think that it would be extremely uh, intoxicating to other people that they would be completely drawn to it. It would be like moths to a flame where they would go, man, there is something different and I want to be a part of that. People care about people at that church. And I think that's what we find in the early church. Now, I know they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have the digital distractions that we have now. But, but what they did have was just a, a, a crazy world and a world of persecution. As you continue to read Acts, and it talks about how they continue to meet together, but, but they were fighting this world that was against them. And they still continued to meet, and they still continued to try to reach out. And because of their perseverance and their longing for real relationships with real people, we have the church we have today because they continued to press through. I wanted to end today with, with, with communion for the simple uh, reason of that this gives us the opportunity to break bread together in this setting. I think there's something remarkable in communion. There's something incredible in, in taking time to remember the Lord's Supper. There's something incredible that happens when we stop and we receive communion together. Because like I said, this is the unifying theme in our world. This is the unifying theme in, in the Christian culture is that we can all agree on the cross. We can all agree on the blood of Jesus. We can all agree on the saving grace of Jesus. This is the basis and the foundation of our relationship amongst each other. Clearly, it's the basis and the foundation of our relationship with Jesus. But, but this is what unifies us together. This is what brings us together. We may have differences theologically. We may have some differences on some doctrinal stances and some statements, but what we can agree on is the blood of Jesus. And this is what brought the early church together. It's what brought the early church together. We know that there were people that had their differences. We can read stories of, of differences between people, and, and, and we can see stories of reconciliation amongst people and, and all of these different things. But at the core of it, at the base of it, at the end of it all, there was an agreement on the blood of Jesus. There was an agreement on the grace of God. And something incredible happens 
when we stop for a moment and we say, God, I want to honor you by taking a moment to remember what your son did for me. There's something remarkable when we slow down as a family, as a body, and we say, God, we just want to take a moment and remember what you did for me. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.